0: Welcome to the Park Road podcast for Sunday, November 15th, 2015. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Dan McClintock, Minister of Missions and Family Life at Park Road Baptist Church. His sermon today is entitled, It's Hard to be Humble. As many of you know, before... Coming to Charlotte, we spent nine years in France. We raised our children there. We have very good friends who live in France and some, whom I would count among our best friends, who live in Paris. And so it was with sadness and a real sense of tragedy that I watched the events unfold there on Friday, and I'm sure that all of you share in that same uh, feeling of tragedy. I'd like to offer a prayer of solidarity with the French people, and I'd like to do that in French. Would you pray with me? Notre Dieu d'amour et de grâce, Nous voulons prier pour nos amis en France, ceux qui sont blessés, certains gravement, qui ont perdu leurs proches, qui souffrent d'angoisse, de tristesse et de douleur. Nous pleurons avec eux, avec tout le monde, sur la mort des innocents. Dieu, que tu sois proche de tous les Français aujourd'hui qu'il ressente ton confort et ta paix une paix qui dépasse toute compréhension nous prions dans le nom de Jésus qui lui aussi a connu la souffrance et qui souffre même maintenant avec ses frères et sœurs amen thank you It's hard to make this transition. (laughs) It's hard to be humble. Former heavyweight boxing champion, Muhammad Ali, would be the first to admit that. As you know, he once famously said, it's hard to be humble when you are the greatest. He later abbreviated that and simply said, Repeatedly, I am the greatest. I'll be the first to admit that I'm not too hip with the rap music scene, but Kane West, who I guess is a big deal rapper, <laughs> recently said, It's hard to be humble when you when you stuntin' on a jumbotron. I'm not entirely sure what that means, <laughs> but I think that's today's version of I am the greatest. If you're a country music fan, you might remember a Mac Davis song that went like this. Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror cause I get better looking each day. To know me is to love me. I must be a hell of a man. Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble, but I'm doing the best that I can. I think Mac Davis was joking. I'm not so sure about Muhammad Ali and Kane West. We might be tempted to think that this kind of superiority complex is limited to celebrities. But we've all heard of the Lake Wobegon effect, that fictional garrison keeler town where all the women are strong, all the men are good looking, and all the children are above average. This tendency to overestimate one's achievements and capabilities in relation to others is known as illusory superiority. Some cross-cultural studies suggest that we Americans are in fact above average, at least in the way that we overestimate our own superiority. We tend to think that we are more intelligent and more popular than the average person, that we are better than average leaders, better than average drivers, I know that's true for me, and more socially adept than most of the people around us. I mean, let's be real. Aren't you smarter and better looking than that person sitting next to you in the pew? If it's true that we tend to overestimate our abilities in relation to others, Then the words of Paul and Timothy to the church at Philippi are hard words, hard words for all of us. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, regard others as better than yourselves. Look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. It's a big jump from secretly considering ourselves to be somewhat or even perhaps vastly superior to others, and then to be asked to adopt a humble attitude toward them. How are we to accomplish that? I guess before we get to that question, we might even want to know if humility is really a virtue to which we ought to aspire. And what exactly does it even mean to be humble? As Christ followers, adopting the mind of Christ in as much as that's possible, and following his example, striving to be as much like him as we can possibly be, would seem to me to be worthy goals. Certainly, as Paul and Timothy noted, humility was one of Jesus' hallmarks. He emptied himself, being born in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient, even to the point of death. In searching for definitions of humility, I came across two that really spoke to me. Humility is the fruit of the ability to see oneself Realistically, as a flawed and gifted creature, like all other human beings. The fruit of the ability to see oneself realistically as a flawed and gifted creature, like all other human beings. Seeing oneself realistically, not through the lens of illusory superiority recognizing that I have my faults, but that I also have certain gifts, certain ways that I might excel. And understanding that with my flaws and my gifts, I am just like everyone else, strong in some areas and weak in others. Thus, humility is not merely self-deprecation, putting yourself down, It's knowing who you are, both the good and the not so good. Just yesterday, I was driving in the car with our three-year-old granddaughter, Eleanor, and she was singing to herself in the back as we drove along. I said, Eleanor, you sing beautifully. And her unselfconscious reply was, yes, I do. (laughs) You can be humble, and still acknowledge your gifts. The other definition I like says, humility is a way of finding one's place in relation to God and neighbor, a way of loving both without allowing the need for attention, honor, gratitude, or even being right to interfere. That's a little complicated, so I'll repeat it. Humility is a way of finding one's place in relation to God and neighbor, a way of loving both without allowing the need for attention, honor, gratitude, or even being right to interfere. One of the best lessons I ever learned in humility was taught to me by my mother, and it was just a few years ago. For several years before she died, She had stopped driving and she shared time living alternately with my siblings and then with us. We would have her with us for two months and then she'd be gone for several months with one of my brothers or my sister and then eventually she'd be back to live with us again. By the way, I would not recommend this arrangement. I don't really think that in my dealings with most people, I have a need to always be right. Correct me if I'm wrong. (laughs) But unfortunately, in dealing with my mom, I found that she was often wrong. She was wrong about how to do the laundry, how to load the dishwasher, the correct temperature for cooking chicken. She was even wrong about more objective things like movie titles and who authored certain books. Well, one day, and I remember this day well, I corrected one of her answers on a crossword puzzle. You'd think she would thank me because she was stuck. But she said instead, you know, Dan, you don't always have to be right. At first, I didn't get it, because in this case, and in my opinion, in most cases, I was right. But it gave me pause, and I came to realize that there was something much more important than being right. Being right, in fact, was getting in the way of my loving her. I determined that I would never insist on being right with her again, that I would allow her to do things her way, the wrong way, and not say a word. And it absolutely transformed our relationship. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done but it gave me a glimpse of what humility is all about. When I was doing campus ministry in Boston, I had the privilege of meeting Mother Teresa when she came to speak at Harvard's commencement. A few of us who were members of the United Ministry there were invited to have lunch with her. She was the founder of the Missionaries of Charity and one of their vows was to work among the poorest of the poor, which she did until just before her death at age 87. Because I had met her and was so impressed with her, I read the joy of living, which is quoted in the meditation section of today's bulletin. Like many saints before her, Mother Teresa believed that one developed humility through practice and discipline. She lists in the bulletin several ways that we can practice humility, each of which might require a lifetime to master. I would, very humbly of course, like to add two disciplines to her list, although they're probably just extensions of what she has already said. First, Humility means developing a willingness to learn from others. Mother Teresa said that when she welcomed a man who had HIV or wrapped the wounds of a woman with leprosy or fed a child who spent her days going through garbage heaps looking for food, she did it because when she looked at them, she saw Jesus. If Christ Is truly present in our neighbor then we can see that person with new eyes and we can expect each person to be the bearer of Christ to us in some particular way and finally humility means an unwillingness to stand in judgment of another person as Christ followers we believe that compa- compassion transforms lives in a way that judgment never could. The heart of compassion, as and as, the heart of God is compassion. And as we draw closer to God, we get to cultivate a habit of compassion, which includes compassion for ourselves as well as for others. Having compassion for ourselves means being able to take a step back and see ourselves clearly and honestly and with a touch of forgiveness just as we might see an old friend having compassion for others means that the better we know ourselves the gentler we will be with others as Mother Teresa said, humility requires practice. If it's not innate and not a gift that's bestowed upon us, but rather something at which we need to work, then one of the ways we might practice is to become involved in one of the homeless ministries our church offers serve tea at the Urban Ministry Center lunch on a Friday, or sign up to help with Charlotte Family Housing and get to know the residents there. When we host Room in the Inn this winter, come and have a meal with our guests. I'll confess to you that there are times when, for me, it hasn't been about learning humility. There are times when, like the Pharisee in Jesus' parable, I'm thinking, thank you, God, that I am not like this tax gatherer, this homeless person. There are times when I fail to see Christ in them, when I don't think there's anything that I can learn from them, when I'm given over to judging them as being somehow less worthy because we all secretly think that we're above average, right? There are times when all that I get out of my contact with one of these neighbors is my own pat on the back for doing good. But none of us operates out of pure motives, and fortunately, God understands that. The wonder, the wonder is that by the grace of God, I can honestly say that with practice, over time, God has helped me to see Christ in these neighbors who just happen to be less fortunate than I. God has allowed me to learn from them and taught me to refrain from judging them, at least some of the time. I still need practice. So come and join me and let's practice humility together. Humility is having a clear, compassionate vision of our abilities as well as our failings, our flashes of brilliance as well as our bad habits, our foibles as well as our giftedness. But beyond that, humility is the knowledge that we cannot do it alone. That we are totally dependent upon God who gives us breath, God who gives us consciousness, God in whom we live and move and have our being. May it be so. Thanks for listening today. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Grace and peace to you.